Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops. And throughout the series, we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series, we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup will be heading to our shores for the first time to showcase the best women's hoops in our region. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. For me, going into this, I knew that I wanted to be on deck, just myself though. I wanted to, to see how I could do this, how well I could do this, and like which part of it I like. Um, because I know in the entertainment industry, you know, there's so many steps to production and I was, I was like, I don't really know which part really stands out to me. So I really wanted to get the full scope of it. And it turns out I really enjoyed doing every part of it. In the first of our Passport Pod episodes for Series 5, we're talking with Jocelyn Song, a budding film writer and director based in New Jersey on her college thesis and directorial debut, Song Pei Jing. The first female director we've hosted on Shooting the Breeze, Jocelyn has crafted a moving short documentary featuring her sister, Sophia Song, the first American Taiwanese basketball player to play professional hoops in Taiwan. A documentary piece that touches on universal themes of community, belonging, aspiration and sacrifice for family, alongside Sophia's basketball journey. But what unfolds is a deeply affecting and personal story. And as Jocelyn candidly shares with us, was a surprising journey of discovery, not just for herself, but of her sister Sophia. We love to see documentary pieces on women's hoops, and especially by female directors. Song Pei Jing will screen to the public as part of the LA Asian Film Festival next month. The STB crew are grateful to have been able to preview this wonderful short doco and look forward to watching more by Jocelyn Song. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze and our Passport podcast series. Joining me as always, my co-host Jacinta Gavin and our guest today is from the United States. She's in New York at the moment. It's Jocelyn Song, who has just completed and entered a short film, Zong Pei Xing, into the 39th LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. And it's a story about her sister, Sophia, who is now playing professional basketball in Taiwan. Jocelyn, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Wow, thank you both for the intro and just having me and waking up at 7am to do this with me is insane. Um, really happy to be here and really honored to and grateful to be able to talk about my film with you guys. Cool. And it's our pleasure to have you on. Now, first of all, I suppose the big question is, why did you decide to do a documentary about your sister's journey in basketball? Yeah, I mean, this wasn't something that was set really. Um, 
this whole project kind of started in early 2021. So almost about uh, two years ago now. Um, I was like in my spring semester of my junior year of college. I was at home because of COVID. Um, and I knew that I would have to come up with a thesis idea in order to graduate in 2022. Um, and at the time I was like, hmm, maybe I'll make a horror or thriller short because <laughs> I love that genre. But I didn't have a story there. So I was like, no, that's not an option. Um, so I kind of defaulted to a short doc. And I really wanted a story that will that would have already been, you know, kind of laid out for me just to scramble together creatively, I guess. And I knew I wanted to do, if I was going to make a, a documentary, it was going to be sports. It was going to be on probably an Asian American athlete, um, something personal, someone I knew from the community, um, someone who would be able to fit my schedule because I'll be, when this was going to be filming, um, I was going to be in school and also doing basketball at the same time. And yeah, so again, just really looking for something personal and meaningful. And as I'm thinking about all this and brainstorming, like literally next to me on the couch is Sophia, who who was literally at the time like talking to her agent in Taiwan. And she had like at the time, again, no idea if she was going to be able to play over there yet. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, well, she kind of checks all the boxes. And this is my sister, you know, and um, we already have like I already knew we had so much archival footage too, like photos, videos, you know, stuff from our childhood that I could use. She wasn't going to be doing much at the time except for maybe training. So her schedule is pretty flexible. Um, and again, just you get, she checked all the boxes. And so I asked her and luckily she said, yeah. And we kind of got the, the ball rolling from there. No pun intended. No, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of interesting because, you know, having had a chance to watch the documentary and it, it, it's really great. I really enjoyed Thank you. watching it. Thank you. That whole part of the story about you know minority communities coming together sport bonding people it's a common theme we see it a lot and i'm just mm -hmm. curious to you know from your perspective how do you feel about you know the capability of sport to bring people together and in, in particularly in your family's case yeah i mean i think every you know step of the of her journey was we were supported by our community like through and through through each of our careers I would say, and we're really fortunate to have grown up in, you know, one of the Asian enclaves in SoCal. There's like many, but we were able to grow up in one that really loved basketball. And so all our lives, I mean, we were surrounded with people who love the sport just as much as we do. And I mean, that's that's pretty much how all these connections were made, like just friends in the neighborhood, teammates, and then even like some people in even college, like you see them playing against each other in college. I think it was all through, you know, this ability for basketball to bring us all together. Yeah. And then like, this is like random that just came to my mind right now. But like, for example, like someone I knew in the basketball community, but never really got to talk to personally, we kind of just knew each other from afar. Um, I like randomly like ran into her in Philly and we had to like do a little double take because it's been like years since I've seen her. But we ended up talking and like, she's like a crazy crazy hooper at Penn right now at um, UPenn. So, and I ended up, ended up like watching her, her play her last few games of her career. But I think like interactions like that are kind of like what you get out of this community. Like, and I, I think it's really unique, but we are really fortunate to, to have grown up playing in the leagues for sure. What about in the wider context of living in LA, you know, being mm -hmm. from, you know, having your parents or your grandparents have migrated for somewhere else? Um, and LA is so spread out. I mean, I mm -hmm. think in our minds, it's easy to think that it's just a, a city like any other city, but it's actually so spread with so many different. Oh, yeah. 
surrounding suburbs and it's quite large. But yeah, and then the importance of being second generation migrants mm-hmm. and having that importance of sport. Because what, what kind of other opportunities, I guess, uh, is there to connect culturally in LA apart from sport? It's yeah. spread. Yeah, 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 definitely. A lot of these leagues, I guess leagues, but organizations that have these teams would host a lot of events around their tournaments. So there would be like dances. We have like Japanese festivals sometimes here and there. Um, A lot of events around the holidays, like Christmas is a big one where people just gather in like a church. All the teams would gather in a church and just like have food and have a huge like potluck together where they just bring, you know, cultural dishes. Well, I mean, these Japanese festivals, it's all about, you know, Japanese culture and celebrating that. So, yeah, I mean, and these um, organizations are, are getting all spread out across SoCal. So when we do have these tournaments, we pull, you know, we're driving from different areas of, of L.A. to go play against each other and be together in like one space. And, and that's interesting. You, you're talking about the, you know, driving from here to there. Now, I mean, L.A. is a big place. Yeah. So what sort of travel times are we talking about going between competitions? Because, you know, I mean, I know from my experiences, you know, traveling in LA, sometimes it can take you hours to get Oh, places. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of these tournaments, it could, I mean, if we're talking, uh, a lot of them were in like Torrance or South Bay, which is where, you know, um, in the film, that was where Sophia's first high school was her freshman year um, high school. And that was, I mean, that was an hour drive without traffic. <laughs> you know, um, some of them would be in Orange County, which is a little bit uh, like, I would say, it's a little bit more east of Torrance. So, but still like 50 miles from where we live, about 55 miles. And then there could be some even in the Inland Empire, which is kind of where I went to college and maybe a little further. Um, and that's an hour, hour and a half of traffic. So, yeah, we're talking about, like it's a pretty big uh, driving distance, I would say. But we're we also my city. We also hosted a lot of tournaments too. So there'll be people coming into our city to play. So it's just yeah, it's a lot of traveling, but it's worth it for sure. Because um, especially like uh, I I think it's I'm not sure if it's Australia wide, but I know in my state you need to live within a certain area to go to a certain school, unless you're getting you know like a athletic mm. or academic scholarship to be able to attend a school out of area is it the same because I was quite surprised that your sister was traveling an hour for school and I wondered if if it's the same over there or you can just kind of pop up yeah yeah so yeah for public schools you can't jump into a public school that's like miles away from you but with Bishop Montgomery that's a private school so private schools you're able to you just have to pass a few tests and then pay the money to attend the school so yeah, that's how my sister was able to play over there. Oh, okay, that makes yeah, that makes a, mm-hmm. a lot more sense. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't too sure if it was a athletic scholarship or or what, but um, mm. yeah. I mean, it talks a lot to the to the sacrifices that your family made. Obviously, at that time, you know, because I think you mentioned that your dad took a job in Torrance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to make it easier for Sophia to be able to get to school and back. Mm-hmm. How did that work for the for the family generally? Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, I didn't see my dad. I didn't see my dad or my sister or Sophia for from like six thirty to like eight p.m. I would not see them because <laughs> those two would be taking off at like the crack of dawn. She even had like morning workouts, so maybe even earlier than that they would be they would be gone. And 
during her season, at least, my dad would even come back, pick us up from school. And luckily, my sibling, my younger siblings and I, we went to school around our neighborhood. So within walking distance. So we were able to to get around fine. And my grandma always helped drive my siblings and I around. So that was that was settled. But with Sophia, it was always my dad and her mostly and my mom at work. Um, but during her season, I mean, my dad was coming back, picking us up at night and driving us back over there to to go watch her play. And I mean, it, during the downtime, we would be at the malls, we would be eating, we would be hanging out with my dad's friends out there, different families in, in that community. Um, in the South Bay community, I mean, we would watch movies and then we'll go watch my sister play and then we'll drive back home. I mean, that was that was kind of the schedule. But um, yeah, it was it was a lot. It's a lot of driving. It's a lot of driving. It's a lot of trying to figure out what to do while she's not playing. But yeah, it was definitely a sacrifice for sure. Definitely a sacrifice. So were the same expectations put on you as uh, and your siblings as on Sophia to pursue this, you know, lifelong commitment to basketball? I'm yes, definitely. Um, my dad, he had an interesting way of doing it. Um, he was like, whoever comes comes first, we'll get her out of the house and then we'll focus on the next one kind of a way to, of look, looking at us. But I definitely, I mean, yeah, I mean, throughout our entire childhood, it was the same expectation of making it to at least college and then hope maybe professionally. But for Sophia, it was, it was very clear that, that that was, I mean, them two talked about it a lot more than I did with him. But for sure, because she was the firstborn, you know, he's going to throw all the eggs in and see and test it out and see where where it was best for her before he moved with us. But then Sophia actually went back to your local high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where you got the regionals? Yeah, her regional state title. Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that even after all that time traveling, you know, back and forth to Torrens, that then it was like, hey, I'm coming back home. And then that's where it all happened. Yeah, I mean, her team at Bishop was just as good. I mean, they were they were a pretty good team. And for us to go into Bishop, I mean, the purpose of that was um, because we were her coach at the time was recruiting her to go to that school one. Um, but the the teams in that division had so many Division One players that the exposure was going to be really important for Sophia in that area. And we also, my dad, kind of wanted us to get out of the. He, he it was kind of his own way of kind of like breaking out of the Asian American basketball, you know, bubble that we have going on in SoCal. He wanted to show that or not show, but he wanted to kind of expose her to, you know, to a bigger scene that's, you know, multicultural, like very diverse, you know, and that was Bishop's Bishop's League was very diverse. Um, they had great, really great basketball players. So that was our that was one of our main reasons for going to Bishop. But um, coming back, I think was just there was a lot more pluses than minuses when we were weighing out the options when Sophia's bishop coach ended up leaving the school. And we knew that they had a great team at Keppel. I mean, Keppel's had a really great girls basketball program for years, even before, like way before it, for generations. So we knew that going there would be a safe bet. I mean, all her friends are there. It's it's a 15-minute drive compared to an hour drive. I mean, that's a pretty big plus in itself. So and it was a very promising outlook in terms of, you know, that postseason will look like. So um, my dad was like, I think we should we should come back and, yeah, and save some money. <laughs> and that team, um, I really liked that uh, it was a cool part of the story that Sophia went back to Keppel to be closer to home, obviously, but also that team had so many great uh, Asian-American players mm-hmm. and a big 
I think it was it seemed really important for that context, even though this happened what not eons ago, to have that really strong Asian American representation on that high standard of scale of high school basketball. Yeah. I thought that was a really right. really cool part of the story. Were you guys aware at the time? Um, I know that in the documentary it mentions how Keppel continued to you know break records and perform the best that the school has in the, in a while. But were you and your family and the team aware at the time of how important that was on a grander uh, like social and cultural context? You know, at the time, I would say no, because it just felt really, I mean, it, I think for us, because we, we lived in the area, we didn't realize that a lot of people looking in, they might see it as like, whoa, there's like a full team of Asian girls on this team <laughs> like um we we never like because we grew up in it like it was never a question you know it felt so normal to us that we didn't really you know we didn't really think about about that larger social cultural you know lens uh that people might have looked at us at um we were just trying to win games you know <laughs> like we were just trying to win championships and and but I think looking in hindsight I mean it was it was a pretty big deal yeah definitely and now that I've been educated on like the history of, you know, Asian America diaspora too, like I think it's really, uh, it's really unique to have grown up in a place that, that would like love basketball so much and produce like really great Asian American hoopers in general. So yeah, I, I, I didn't realize it till later on for sure. Now you've talked a lot about your dad through this. And one of the things that you covered quite a bit in the documentary was your father's hospitalization during COVID and how it, it affected Sophia and obviously affected your whole family. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that would have been a pretty tough thing to put up there on the documentary because it's like, you know, you're opening up the world to this huge impact to your family. How, yeah. how, how did that feel for you? We have, uh, I mean, it's been years since, you know, it's been 2016 was when it happened. So my family and I had a lot of time to kind of process the event itself and, you know, where my dad, my dad's, you know, whole situation. And um, we're actually, I mean, if you came up to any of us and like asked us about it, we're actually very open and talking about it and laying down the details of what happened. We really don't sugarcoat what happened to my dad because, um, I mean, we just don't have anything to hide really. I mean, and so putting this in the film, I think it was, I, I think for Sophia, she might say something different because she was the one telling the story from her perspective. But it is, it is, uh, I mean, at the time, I didn't think that my film was going to go to, was going to be shown to a larger audience. <laughs> I thought it was just family and friends and they already know our story. So, you know, this would just be a retelling if anything, but there is, you know, there is a little like hesitation on how, like how much detail should go into it. You know, um, do we want to, uh, what, how much should we show? Um, but I think both of us really, you know, early on in the planning stages, we really wanted to be, make this as genuine and candid as possible. And no one will really understand the full scope of the story if we held back on, you know, what she felt like in that moment of receiving the news, you know, and how she was able to process her grief. Like, you, like, I don't want to sugarcoat anything or leave anything out. So, uh, and she was fully along with it. So that's kind of what we, you know, set out to do when making the film. Yeah, she was certainly very honest and vulnerable, uh, especially when it got to the point in the documentary speaking about the timing, especially of when your dad became unwell. 
um, how mm. she was just starting college and she just reached, you know, the t- second tier or the second top tier of the journey that they had planned out together for her life since Sophia was a kid. Um, mm. So I think the timing of everything was um, made it even more heartbreaking. And she was super vulnerable in that stage too. So we got to commend her for yeah being so honest and vulnerable um, mm-hmm. to accurately share the story, but also was really impressed that your sister was able to recognize that she needed to have a break. Like that she, mm. I feel like when, especially when you're that age and you've been put on this path to play college ball and pro ball since you're a kid and something like that happens in the middle of it to disrupt it, there's still this obligation to keep going and mm-hmm. to just suck it up and deal with it. So I was really I, I, I say proud, even though I don't know your, your sister, but like it was really kind of impressive that she recognized that she really needed to take a break, step away from the sport and find yeah. a love for it without the emotional connection that she loved it because, you know, it was a thing she did with your dad. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, for her too, like she really like I, this was my first time really hearing her side of the story. I knew that at the time of when it was happening, Um, I mean, we were all struggling with our grief at the time, but for her, um, I just knew that she was, she was struggling with a lot of depression and anxiety, but I didn't know at the extent of like how bad it was and how, not bad, but like how, how much it was affecting her in every, every aspect of her life. And she really reached a point where she was like, I, I can't even do this, you know? And, um, and that's when it became really clear to her that she needed to go like get, like she really didn't go find help for herself. So yeah, and I, I commend her for doing that. And I mean, she did that all on her own too. Um, she didn't want to put any more burden on us. And that's why she kind of kept it, to, kept that to herself and to her coach up in, you know, Davis. And we're also just really grateful to her coach for even letting her take that break. Cause a lot of schools, I mean, when you're on scholarship, you have an obligation to your school, you know, at, at all costs. And her coach was really gracious and like gave her as much time as she needed to to take that step away. And uh, the college your sister attended, is that close by to where you and your family were living as well? Oh, yeah. So Davis is in NorCal. So that's about a six-hour trip <laughs> up north Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's still in California, but the other part, I guess, the, I yep, the other car- that far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Davis is, Davis is a drive. <laughs> wow. Because I was thinking at least... Sophia was relatively close to home. I saw a lot of the college offers she received, you know, mm-hmm. including the likes of Nebraska. Um, mm-hmm. So I imagine it would have been even harder having to be so far away from home when it happened. Um, yep. So, yeah. I'd take the six-hour drive versus a six-hour flight, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and I that's a part of the, the film I kind of had to cut out. She did explain, you know, that distance and what that distance kind of meant to her when I was interviewing her. But that part got omitted. Um, so, for for those of you guys internationally, you, you probably wouldn't wouldn't uh, think think that Davis was like six hours away. But yeah, yeah. The film closes out with you know the move to Taiwan and what it meant to Sophia and your dad and obviously the rest of the family. It's it's a key point in the story. How did you find yourself having to deal with putting that part of the story together? and how you made it work within the confines of the film. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was initially storyboarding, um, you know, I was thinking uh, my plan at least was that I would go back and forth between the present, which was at the time her training, you know, packing, 
saying goodbye to my dad, talking with family, you know, old coaches, all of that. I was going to mix that in with the past, you know, her talking about her childhood, high school, college, you know, taking her through her career, basically, and then end with Taiwan. But my professors were actually against that because the film would be a feature and not a short. (laughs) And at the time, the goal was to have a short. And I was I was with I really wanted to make a short. I didn't want to make a feature film, but it was just going to be way too long if I had done like a back and forth kind of thing. So it would have been nice. It would have been cool to try to explore that. But um, I couldn't. I was like, no, we we can't go that route. So I knew I had to switch things up a bit. And the best way we kind of came up with was for, you know, was for me to hint the end of her being in Taiwan kind of at the beginning or just that the, you know, the results in the beginning and then tell the story out fully to get the big picture and, you know, really establish what it really means for her to play in Taiwan. And yeah, like building the story first and then delivering, you know, the hard parts later on in the film, I realized made for like a more, I guess, impactful story. Um, And so that's kind of how, yeah, that's kind of how we ended up figuring that out. And I mean, even when even when we were filming this in September, it was still kind of unclear whether or not she would actually be going to Taiwan. So when we finally got the news that she she was through, I kind of it was a great way for me to like be like, oh, okay, so now it's happening. I could I could do this now. So yeah. <laughs> and were you there ready with a camera to film the moment she got the official news that she could go? I, I was not there. I was not for, there for that. It was a quick text. Hey guys, it's happening. <laughs> and I was like, great. We're, we're, we need to start filming this. We need to start filming everything now. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, it would have been interesting though, if I was able to get that, but no, I missed it. Unfortunately. You know, I mean, look, this is really a really personal thing for you, but it was really interesting from my perspective to say that, you know, you had put this together, you directed it, you wrote it, you had edited it, you've you've basically done this whole piece and it is great yourself. What was the personal journey for you as you were going through that whole exercise, literally from, you know, plotting, storyboarding right the way through to editing and finishing? Yeah, I'm going to answer this question like and looking at it like from the professional standpoint I mean for me going into this I knew that I wanted to be on deck just myself though I wanted to to see how I could do this how well I could do this and like which part of it I like um because I know in the entertainment industry you know there's so many steps to production and I was I was like I don't really know which part really stands out to me so I really wanted to get the full scope of it and it turns out I really enjoyed doing every part of it um (laughs) And it was just, it's so much fun. This is like everything that I've always wanted to do. I love making, I love making like videos like this. I love editing and putting, putting music to tracks and, you know, sound mixing and looking for archival footage. Like I had so much fun doing that. And so, yeah, it was, I really wanted to make it a point uh, for me to, to be able to do this on like a professional standpoint, but on a personal Um, personal journey throughout this. I think, I mean, making this with Sophia has definitely brought me closer with her. I mean, we love each other, obviously, but we are also sisters and we butt heads a ton. So, I mean, during, during shooting, we got into many fights, (laughs) many fights, Uh, definitely got frustrated with each other at some points, but I mean, we both knew our purpose for doing this and, and she really trusted me to make this, which, which really meant a lot, you know? And again, like I said before, you know, I never, really heard what she was going through when everything with my dad happened. So 
I think understanding, you know, the extent of her you know, depression and anxiety and kind of explaining where she was at that part of her life, you know, I was really able, you know, to empathize with her. Mm-hmm. And I'll also add to that, you know, I kind of, I mean, through this film, I kind of also revisited my own like grief over my dad's situation. And I mean, like the footage, there was like a clip that I archived in the very beginning of the film of Sophia and my dad shooting, or Sophia shooting outside and my dad kind of coaching her. Um, so I, I was at school when I digitized that tape and I had never seen it before. Um, and so, and when my dad's voice came in, it was a, a surprise because I didn't, we had no idea, I had no idea who was behind the camera. Um, but then my dad's voice all of a sudden came in. And at that point I was just like sobbing because you know, I didn't realize it didn't really hit me um, until then, like how long it's been since I had heard my, my dad's voice, you know? And so, and also just Sophia talking, you know, through her grief too, like I felt it, you know? I mean, I was, you can't, obviously can't see me behind the camera, but I was also like crying with her because, you know, I remembered how I felt when I first heard that news, you know, like I was kind of like revisiting those, you know, those memories and those hard times. Um, And so, but with the waves of, you know, grief that comes here and there, um, there's also a lot of healing that comes with that and being able to talk about it with, or hearing, hearing Sophia talk about it and like kind of talking about it with her and sharing it with my family. It's very healing for all of us to kind of open up this, this like, I feel like people want to hide this, but for us to kind of share it and throw it out in the open, it's kind of, it's really nice, you know, to, to be able to um, bond over, you know, a shared experience like that. I learned a lot, learned a ton from doing this. Yeah. I'm sure lots of people would be able to resonate with that story as well in lots of different ways, whether they experienced a similar family tragedy or, or something, yeah, parallel to it. And now your sister has, after, you know, uh, creating the pathway and the representation at Keppel with a very strong Asian-American team, she's now created a new pathway for other female Asian-American basketballers by playing pro in Taiwan. Uh, I mean, it's another thing. Did she realise or did you and your family realise that she's doing something for the first time that no one else has ever done? Yeah, honestly, it didn't hit us until, I mean, her agency was like, yeah, she is the first. And we were like, whoa, because, I mean, for us, like Jeremy Lin's like a huge inspiration for us, you know, him being the first, you know, Taiwanese American to play in the NBA. You know, we were kind of like, wait, I feel like this is kind of like on the same scale as that. And when we started thinking about that, we were like, whoa, this is pretty crazy. Yeah. But for us, I mean, we were just happy that she was even able to like do this. <laughs> you know, We were just grateful that they were going to take her in because at the time COVID is, was still, still very serious over there in Taiwan. I mean, Asia in general, but especially in Taiwan. So for her to even like get her passport, we were like, whoa, like this is like, you know, small wins. And then for them like taking her in and being like, Hey, come play for this team. I mean, that was like, that was already a lot for us. So yeah, it was definitely a very, very exciting, huge moment for her. One of the things that I found really interesting, it surprised me when we were watching the the film was that Sophia had gone on a podcast with Kaz and Daz. <laughs> Kaz and Daz. Yeah. I just, uh, I was sitting there going, hey, that's, that's Kaz and Daz who, you know, we, <laughs> and we've done a couple of podcasts with them as well. Like the connections through basketball are really interesting in, in that respect. Were there any other connections that you you came across that may not necessarily have made the final cut? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, do you mean like with anything outside of of basketball in general, yeah, or 
in general, you know, like outside of basketball, within the basketball community, but those sort of like little connections that may not be obvious until you're actually sort of going through and putting things together and going, oh, you start drawing those little links that you may not have known mm. or may not have been obvious before you actually went through that exercise. Mm. I mean, I'll definitely say I think one thing that I was trying to, a, a common theme, I guess, uh, throughout the film was, I guess, this dream that my, um, or I don't know, I hope this answers your question, <laughs> but just this, um, basketball is just a lot, it's, it's a lot more than just playing the sport itself, I would say. Through making this film, we realized, both of us, through what my sister says too, it's a lot more of a mental game, if anything, than physical. And there is, like, you know, that whole community aspect of being able to, I mean, even the other podcast that I also had in in the film too, that was from two of her friends outside of our city. So they, they didn't even really know who my sister was, but they've heard of her because she's played at their school in like a tournament, you know, and then they wanted to bring her back to talk with her and then they became friends. So, I mean, like I, that's like just an example of how, you know, there, these weird connections and intersections could even happen. It's, I mean, basketball is political at the end of the day, like your performance has an impact, like you do off the court is just as important. And um, you become a reflection of like the team that you're on and the, the community you come from. So I think definitely those connections and intersections were were important for us. And I mean, it was made clear because we were we had a lot of people. Uh, we were able to reach out to a lot of people to kind of get like if I had if I could make a feature film, I really would. And there'd be a ton of more interviews in this and a lot of people, more people who were able who have helped us throughout our, our careers. They would totally be in this. I mean, and that's all connections, intersections through hoops for sure. When is the uh, the 39th LA Asia Pacific Film Festival being held? Yeah. So it's happening in downtown LA from May 4th through the 13th. Um, I think there's two days where there's nothing happening. They call it other days of rest. But uh, my film will be screening on May 13th, the last day of the festival on Friday. It'll be preceding the doc feature, Dame Valerie Adams. And she's this two-time Olympian gold medalist um, in shot putting. She's from New Zealand. Yeah, that's the details of the film. Have you showed the film to a wider audience past your family yet? Um, so when I first finished the, my thesis, uh, I had like a little, a smaller private screening for extended, like family, friends and extended family. And there was about, there was about maybe like 40, 50 of us um, in a small theater that my uncle was able to get me, get me connected to. So that was a, that was a smaller screening, but yeah, this is, this is definitely a wider, <laughs> bigger, way bigger audience now, uh, now that it's in this festival. And I mean, I've submitted it to other festivals too, so we'll see if those land, but for now, um, LA Asian Pacific Film Festival, yeah. So first time the public will get a real taste of the story. Yep, yep, exactly. How exciting. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm a little bit nervous because I'm like, man, we're talking about a place that people know, you know, people know about. We're talking about, you know, experiences that people could share. So I just hope that, <laughs> I just hope that they could, like at least like our old teammates, you know, old friends um, in, in the basketball world that they'll appreciate too what I was able to, you know, put out. Okay. The last thing for me is what's happening for Sophia in Taiwan at the moment? Yeah. So they're playing games right now uh, in their league um, going on out there. We're going to, I'm going to be completely candid. I mean, she, it's been very interesting since she's gotten there. We 
again, realize how political things are <laughs> when it comes to sports. So, but right now she's still in the film. She kind of briefly touched on how she's like learning her way and trying to, you know, bond with her teammates more, learning the language. And so, you know, that, that barrier of not being able to speak is a big one. Uh, speaking Taiwanese, that's a big barrier that she's, she's running into, you know, she, um, as much as she could learn the plays and figure out her way around the court basketball wise, uh, at the end of the day, she that's her way of connecting culturally and feeling more at home over there. And so um, she's kind of been working at that a lot more recently. But she, other than that, she's doing really well. Um, she has a support system out there. We have some family out there. So, yeah, she's it's a very big self-discovery moment for her, I would say. But she's enjoying her time for sure. Cool. And Australia is not that far from Taiwan. So next time. <laughs> wants to play down here in the southern hemisphere <laughs> yeah i mean you know there's a lot of good competition down here and you know oh yeah oh yeah i i have a friend uh her name's kiki she played at one of the schools i think in australia uh for her like study abroad um, i'm not sure which school but she loved it so i yeah she had a great time over there. So I know you guys, I know you guys have a great women's program happening over there. Jocelyn, thanks so much for joining us. It's been really interesting. Personally, I really, really loved watching the documentary. I thought it was great. It was really fascinating. I thought it was a great story. And, you know, all the best of luck in the film festival. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you guys, both you and, and Jacinta for just even having me. I'm again really grateful to share my thoughts over this with you guys. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.